August 23, 2023, the very top of the Amud, the first words on the Amud. If you recall, we're finishing up this conversation in our Mishnah, or about our Mishnah, and the Mishnah had mentioned how if a woman borrows ingredients from her neighbor, the halakha with regards to the loaf of bread that she bakes afterwards is that the loaf of bread with regards to Tehumin, uh, with regards to any Eruveta Tehumin, which were set in places, put simply, it has the status as if it has a dual ownership. And really, what the Gemara was questioning and deliberating and dealing with over the course of some time, pretty much all of Daflamet Heta Mudbet, was uh, why isn't there what's called Bitul in this circumstance? Why don't we say that there are those very few ingredients that are absorbed in the larger? Compo- uh, uh, the larger mixture known as the loaf of bread, ultimately speaking, why don't we say that the uh, ingredients given by the neighbor should not in any way restrict or inhibit the ability for the person who owns that uh, now uh, loaf of bread, the person who baked it, uh, to move it around in any appropriate way. At the end of the day, yesterday, we mentioned the opinions of Abaye and Rava, and then we have the final statement here in the Gemara with regards to resolving that question. Each of them gave a suggestion, and the final answer here on the top of again, dealing with the same issue we've been dealing with throughout. Why isn't there bitul? The statement of Ravashe is, well, take a step back and think about what we're dealing with over here. This is a classic example of a davar sheyesh lo matirin. We saw this concept earlier in the Masechet on Daf Gimal, and the concept, generally speaking, easiest to portray by means of hametz, even though there's a debate with regards to hametz about whether we need to or should be applying this principle. It's easiest to portray it because hametz is something that's well familiar to each of us. The halakha with regards to hametz is afilu be'elef lo batil, which means to say, even though in general we have this concept of bitul, there's annulment with regards to mixtures of something that's permitted and something that's prohibited. When it comes to hametz, there's no such thing. Why not? So one of the angles with regards to dealing with this, Harambam mentions this, is because it's a davar sheyesh lo matirin. Listen to the words. Davar means a thing, an item. Sheyesh lo, which has matirin, which has permissibilities. And in, in other words, since hametz after Pesach will become permitted, in the words of Rashi, as we saw it earlier in Amasechet, the rabbis, so to speak, turn to you and say, there's a mixture over here, and you're nervous because some hametz got mixed in. We're not allowing for that annulment. We say to you instead, just wait a little bit. Wait a few more days until after the holiday, and then it'll become permitted. Meaning according to that logic, since it's only time which is holding you back with regards to permissibility, just wait that time. And until that time, we're not allowing for any bitul at all. Ran Rabbeinu Nisim in Masechet Nidarim Andaf Nunbet gives a different interpretation to the specifics as to why davar shiesh lo matirin afilu be'elef lo batil. He likens it to uh, Rabbi Huda's opinion, who we just saw in Daf Lamed Chet, that opinion of min bemino lo batil, right? That when there's similar species, right, Eli, as, as difficult as it is to wrap your head around the concept of two similar items won't have the annulment, his suggestion, Ran, over there is that although that's specifically the unique opinion of Rabbi Yudah, Hachamim are not altogether different than that. 
But if the halacha is not going to be different all that much, in other words, it's only the passage of time and these two items will be identical, the hametz, for example, and the uh, non-hametz, well, over there as well, it's so to speak along the lines for hachamim of min b'mino. Either way, you explain the logic, again, Rashi or Ran, with regards to davashi yesh matirin. The suggestion of Ravashi here in our Gemara is the reason that the loaf of bread which has the salt, the water, the spice, which was given by the neighbor in it, is not batil, as the three rabbis in Eretz Yisrael were questioning, is because it's a davashi yeshlo matirin. As Rashi writes at the top of the Amud, two ways that it's mutar. Lemahar yolichuha. Tomorrow, take that loaf of bread to wherever you want, outside of the tehum, outside of the boundaries that are allotted to you. That's what you can do. You wait a little bit and it's mutar. For one of two reasons. Or, or today you could even eat it. You could eat it today. Come, eat it here. Don't move it at all. In other words, effectively, um, what Ravashe suggests is this is, uh, it's true, it's an outlying case. It's certain this is not a standard circumstance. But the reason that over here in our Mishnah, with regards to this loaf of bread, as the Chachmei Yisrael were wondering when Rabbi Abba encountered them, remember the story, the answer to that is because it's a Davashi Yeshla Matirin. And with that, the three final answers of the Gemara, the Rava, the Abaye, and Ravashi, finish the conversation. We now finish the fuller conversation of our Mishnah because the last line, the very last line of the Mishnah, presented the opinion of Rabbi Huda. If you recall, Rabbi Huda had a dispute. He said, whereas I understand your claim, Hachamim, when the neighbor lends the salt or the neighbor lends the spice, that now the status of that bread is kiragleshe to him, and has the status of both of the participants, the baker, the primary owner, and the lender. When it comes to water, water's different. Look at the Gemara, Poter Water, for one reason or another, is not significant enough, says Rabbi Yehuda, to becoming or to maintaining the status of ownership of the person who lent it. Says the Gemara, Ma'im in melach lo? In, in Aramaic, if you recall, means yes. And this is setting up a question. Rabbi Yehuda is telling us in the Mishnah that water is insignificant, and therefore, me as the owner, me as the borrower, my wife, as the Mishnah was talking about a woman, uh, now have full, so to speak, tehum ownership over this loaf of bread, ish. Um, but um, when it comes to salt, even Rabbi Yehuda would agree, salt has a significant status to the extent that the lender never loses their stake in this bread, and as a result, they'll inhibit. They'll restrict the movement of the bread. Says the Gemara, is that really so? Don't we have a beraita? which alternatively presents a Bihuda saying something different. How so? Rabbi Huda Omer, Ma'im umelach betelin, ben be'isa, ben ba'kedera. Rabbi Huda says explicitly, not only water, but salt as well, is annulled, is batel, whether it's in a loaf of bread, or even if it's in a dish of some sort that was prepared in both of those circumstances, again, significantly, not only the water, which, quote, is not significant, of course it becomes mine, but even the salt becomes mine. Now, which one is it? Did Rabbi Huda, as presented in our Mishnah, say only water is batel? 
or did he say as well that the, that the salt is? You might suggest, we just don't like doing this in Gemara world, that there's two versions with regards to the Bihuda. Our Mishnah has one, and the Baraita has another one. From time to time, when we're not, if we're not able to resolve this, that's how we, we put up the white flag and we say, two students who are presenting the opinion of Rabbi Huda, two versions of Rabbi Huda. Generally speaking, 99% of the time, the Gemara attempts a lot and even resolves it, finding a different way of distinguishing. How would you attack this type of issue? You know where we're going, I guess you looked ahead. Oh, well, the way we're going to attack this, Baruch Hashem, the way we're going to address this is by questioning what sort of salt are you talking about? Keep in mind, again, the issue over here is annulment, is bitul. Uh, you can imagine bitul in some circumstances as opposed to other. In other words, let's talk about it physically. I'm looking at that mixture. Do I remember the examples we gave yesterday? Do I still see the item in there? You're not going to have Bitul in that circumstance. Is the item still somehow present from a sensory fashion uh, standpoint? In other words, I can feel it. Yes, it's mixed in, but I can feel it. I can discern it, not per se with my eyes, but maybe with my fin, maybe with my tongue. That sort of distinction is what the Gemara is going to set up. So you're going to say that water is never batel. It's always present. It's always clearly present. It, it can make the, what I'm saying is, it can make the difference. And you can say, sure, there's water and as opposed to, I'm fascinated that you, you have such conversations with pizza people. But um, what, what I will say is, is it, I love pizza. I just don't, uh, you know, I'm not, uh, not I, I don't do, uh, you know, one bite or something like that. You know? Is that so? Better than, regard, oh, so New York City as opposed to other uh, places, that's a thing? As opposed to Jersey, fascinating, fascinating. Um, regardless, what I'm, what, yeah, that's now I know. You know, when we get our oven, we got we'll import the water for the summer. It's that way people do. Regardless, what I'm saying is, even if, even if, in the scheme of things, I can tell the difference because it's better or because it has a higher quality, I can't pinpoint, I can't point to the water that's in it. I could say this was the product of the water. That's not significant to the extent that I'm going to say it's not batel. It's in there. It's lost. I have no way, aside from tasting a difference, but not really the difference with regards to I taste the water. I taste the difference as a result of the water. Halachically speaking, uh, we're not going to, at the very least over here, to you know, consider such a, uh, such, such a fact. So it says the Gemara, with regards to the water, Lakashya, we're six lines from the top, seven lines from the top, uh, six lines from the top, Lakashya, there's no difficulty, no contradiction. Habemelach stomit, habemelach istroknit. The distinction is between two types of salt. The first one you might be familiar with, Melach Domit, as Rashi even cites two lines from Tab the Gemara, Masechet Chulin and Daf talks about Melach Domit, salt, which somehow is located or we envision as coming from stone. Uh, well, stone was dis- destroyed in the Torah, as it's described in Parashat Vayera, as having a lot of salt. Lot's wife turns into a Netziv Melach. Oh, what is melach stomit when we envision this type of salt? Well, take a look at Rashi together with me. Top line stomit, daka hi meod. Dak means fine, thin. It's very fine and thin. Ubetela. And as a result, that type of salt, melach stomit, as opposed to the melach istroknit, 
is very fine and therefore lost in the mixture a lot easier. It's a lot more prone to being completely lost and therefore nullified, therefore batel. Istroknit, elsewhere Rashid describes it as being more artificially produced as opposed to melach stomit. I can't tell you the exact particulars, but I can tell you Rashi over here is more than anything just distinguishing between its physical, uh, physical buildup. Is it coarse and thick or is it very, very thin in that respect? Kosher salt would be the melach stomit over here, I believe, right? Um, says Rashi. Oh, okay. If you say I don't know, I don't know what kosher salt says. Veteda says Rashi. I just need what's put in front of me from my wife. Veteda shehas domit daka says Rashi. I'll prove to you that melach domit is the thinner one. De amrinan. After all, the Gemaran Hulin says me penema amru mai maharonim hava me pene she melach domit yesh she mesama et ha'enaim. The Gemara attributes this idea, this halakha of ma'im washing your hands at the end of the meal, to the fear of melach stomit, which is so, as Rashi says, so fine and so small and so in between the cracks and crevices that if you don't wash your hands, your eye, hands will go into your eyes because that, that, that salt, now if it's, this is Rashi's assumption, if it's a thicker salt, I'll just go like that, I'll wipe off my hands and it's gone. Since it's finer and thinner, it's therefore left on my eyes and goes into, on my hands, it goes into my eyes. That's Rashi's distinction with regards to our Gemara telling us the difference between Melach Stomit and Melach Istroknit. If you look at the left hand side, Rabbeinu Hananel, Rabbeinu Hananel, who precedes Rashi um, in his commentary, as we mentioned more than once, a northern French uh, uh, commentator to the Gemara. So, uh, in my Gemara, just right on the left-hand side of the Gemara, maybe 20 or so lines, says, V'hataner bihuda, Omer, Maimu melach betelim be'isa ven betelim be'ketera, excuse me, I'm too far ahead in Rashi, in uh, Rabbeinu Hananel, V'akshinan l'rbihuda, it's about eight lines down in mine, Melach lo batil, V'hatanyar bihuda, Omer, Maimu melach betelim ben be'isa ven be'ketera, U'prakinan, and we answer, Lakasha matnitin be'melach stomit, She'enoni moach ba'mayim, uh, for one reason or another, he has the opposite punchline in the Gemara. For him, and I imagine it goes something like this, the Melach Stomit, which in the eyes of the rabbis will blind your eyes, has a potency, has a power that it doesn't dissolve easily. It's not so much, as Rashi said, it's very fine and thin and therefore it'll be lost. Its potency is such that we fear it'll blind your eyes. That's the one that's not batil. Okay, either way you slice it, ben l'rashi, ben l'rabbeinu hananel, in the particulars with regards to which one's batil, which one's not, that's the way we're, to, that's the way we're resolving the question. The question was a contradiction in Rabbi Yehuda. Does Rabbi Yehuda say that melach is batil? The answer is, it depends. It depends. It depends what type of melach you're dealing with. According to Rashi, melach stomit will be batil. According to Rabbeinu hananel, will not. And the opposite, of course, in ist melach istroknit. So again, four lines from the top, says the Gemara, v'hatanya Rabbi Yehuda, omer the Gemara has yet another final question from a Beraita. So the Beraita over here distinguishes and it picks up on a specific point that we just read in the Beraita. 
We didn't per se see this in the Mishnah. We saw in the Beraita a mention of ben be'isa ben be'kedera. If you recall, isa is the dough with which you're making bread, and kedera is the dish, uh, whatever you're making. That was an extra, an, an additional detail. We didn't see that per se mentioned in the Mishnah. We may have assumed it in the Mishnah. I recall Rashi even understood Ravana Baye being split. Maybe he had one version, Isa and Kedera. But leave that in Tosafot disagreed. But I mean, ultimately speaking, the Beraita said it's equivalent, it's the same thing. If you borrow the salt, provided it's the right salt, it's Batel. Provided it's the wrong salt, it's not Batel, according to Rabbi Uda. But this statement in this Beraita, Rabbi Uda distinguishes. He says, listen, when it comes to water and salt, there'll be bitul, there'll be annulled when it's borrowed from the neighbor and put into your dough to make a loaf of bread with regards to tehumin, when it's made to be dough of bread. But if it's kedera, if it's to make a dish, it's not batil. Why is it not batil? Because of the gravy, the gravy within which the water or the salt I imagine even the spice is placed into, makes it such that you can never envision and, and understand this as a, as a circumstance of bitul. Again, either way, you know, how, regardless of how you specify the, 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 you know, why there's no bitul over here, it's a blatant contradiction. Rabbi Uda on the one hand said there's always bitul, and Rabbi Uda in this circumstance says there's only bitul with regards to dough and not with regards to the dish. So this one he's saying that if the person borrows Quite the opposite. In that circumstance, agrees with the Hachamim. There's no bitul. Says the Gemara, Lakashya Habeava Habiraka. Little did I know I was going to get a lesson about pizza and things of that sort. I thought I'd maybe get a lesson about this one. The Gemara distinguishes between different types of dishes. Says the Gemara, it depends on which type of dish, and in turn, it depends on how much or if there is gravy at all. The Gemara distinguishes between ava, which is probably translated as thick, and raka, which is probably translated as soft in some way or fashion. Maybe it's thin and loose. Good, fantastic. What's the difference between the two? I would imagine, but here's where you, where you all come in, I would, imagine, would have imagined that, well, let's read Rashi, forget about my imagination. Rashi, ava, tavshil ava, if it's a thick or a dense uh, cooked item, in such a circumstance, there's not much or it's not discernible the gravy, as opposed to when it's loose, the gravy is discernible. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. All right, regardless, I, I don't know. No, what's Reg- like a stew? What's a soup? Raka, oh, raka is like a stew. And in turn, that's the gravy, that's what I'm imagining. Regardless, it's a distinction the Gemara is making for us, this is the easier way for me, whether there is a significant amount or at all of gravy. If there isn't, there will be bitul. Raka is the stew, is your suggestion. Why gravy? Why isn't it just a thick food without any butter? Well, the food, the understanding is if you're looking at chicken and there's salt in it, the salt is became a part of it. If it's in the gravy, it's not a part of it, and as a result, it's, you kind of still could discern it. Something along those lines. When we're dealing with the physical, coarser, denser item, it's embedded within it, as opposed to when it's something that's more liquidy, uh, you can pick up on it, you can see it, you can point to it, and uh, appreciate its significance. What do you say, broth, broth is, uh, is, is the thin one you're yeah, suggesting? Right. 
Right, but the Gemara's, uh, might be the Gemara's distinguishing like that. Rashi says the thick one, oh, that's what you're saying, that's what enrotvon nikar means, the looseness of the gravy is not nikar, you would translate it as? It's possible. All right, we'd have to work a little bit more on the reality with regards to what the rotef nikar is or not. But the distinction, again, ultimately speaking, has to do with the physical uh, features uh, in, in the final stage of this production. All right, the next Mishnah continues in conversation about tehumin, um, uh, again, with regards to a circumstance where not only I, but my property as well, as we've understood, as we've developed, has restrictions when it comes to Shabbat and Yom Tov with regards to how far I can carry it or I can carry myself. Those 2,000 ama, whether it's Deoraita or Derabbanan, but ultimately speaking, it's a restriction. So we've addressed when there's a partnership, we've addressed when you borrowed something. Now we're going to address something a little bit more specific, and that is fire and alternatively, and in contrast, a coal. A coal, if I were to take a coal from you, it clearly, and this we know, the halacha and Yom Tov will have the status and stature of your property. I took your coal on Yom Tov and I want to carry it. It's going to go based on whatever your boundaries are, as we've addressed what it means your boundaries as opposed to mine. What if in some way or fashion, the Gemara will struggle to figure out how this works. I'll, I'll blow it and tell it to you from the beginning. What if I just take a flame from you? Not that I put the flame onto a candle per se, or maybe even I put it onto a candle and I'm not dealing with any of the other halachot that we're going to talk about over here, but I'm talking about how far can I carry that candle. The candle's mine, but the flame, so to speak, is borrowed from you. Is the flame significant? Is a flame something? Shiesh bo mamash is the halachic terminology. So that's what we're going to address. Mishnah will very clearly, and in turn, the Beraita will expand it, distinguish between a flame and a coal. A coal is something, shiesh bo mamash. There's something there, something physical, so to speak. The flame, although it is something, although those gases do exist, ultimately speaking, halachically speaking, it has a lot less significance with regards to Tehum and several other issues. So let's take a look at this quickly. In the Mishnah, it says the Mishnah HaGahelet. If a person were to take a, a call, let me just finish the Mishnah. It's a quick Mishnah. It has the status of the owners, which is, means if it was taken before Yom Tov, it has my status. Take it on Yom Tov, it has your status. A flame has no status whatsoever. The flame is so to speak, ownerless for these purposes. Likewise, gahelet shel hekdesh. If the gahelet of a kol is of hekdesh, it belongs to the mikdash, it was sanctified. Whether it's what's called, well, there's two types of hekdesh, as we've discussed more than once. Mo'alinbo. There's an isur me'ilah, you're not allowed to get any benefit from it, you're not allowed to enjoy it. It's kodesh. V'shalhevet lo nehenin velo mo'alin. Alternatively, and in contrast, if it's just a flame of kodesh, you're not allowed to, Rashi says, rabbinically speaking, uh, benefit from it. But if you were to benefit from it, you're not a sinner with regards to me'ilah. If you did a b'shogeg accidentally, you don't bring a korban. If you did it purposefully, you don't get malkot. Why not? The distinction, again, is that a shalhevet, a flame, en bo mamash, hamotzi, the third distinction is with regards to carrying into a public domain on Shabbat. A gahelet of a coal has a status. You carried it into the Shut Rabim, carried through the Shut Rabim. Hayav, it's one of the melachot of Shabbat. If it's just a flame, you would not be so. All right, we'll continue with this tomorrow with regards to the distinction, the difference between gahelet and shalhevet, coal and flame. Baruch Amen, Amen. Yeah,